If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. What keeps the world safe? Have you thought about what actually keeps the world safe? We're going to talk about that tonight. We'll clear up some of this Biden nonsense, Taliban stuff. And how many times have you heard me say, keep your kids out of government schools. Remember that tonight on I'm Right. We'll get to all the Biden stuff from yesterday in a second, the odd shouting and the blaming and all that other stuff. We'll get to all that in a minute and all the Taliban stuff. But How many times have you heard somebody on television, maybe in person, maybe you've done this yourself, I'm sure I have done it myself, say something like, why do criminals do what they do? You'll see a horrific crime on TV, a murder of some kind, something like that, and you'll think to yourself, at least I do anyway, why? Especially the really horrific ones, just demonic stuff. You look and you think to yourself, why? But Let's approach this from a different angle because we're talking about America now. Have you ever thought about it this way? Because I was thinking about this this morning. And before I forget, before I forget, I realize this looks like garbage right now. I'm not in the studio today. I'm stuck at home. It's a long story just like yesterday. You're not going to have to endure this much longer. So just deal with casual Jesse for now. But back to what I was saying. Why don't the horrible criminals do more? You ever thought about that angle of it? Some guy randomly murders some woman on the sidewalk. 
terrible stuff, right? Clearly a person not doing well, bad person, whatever you think should be done with him. But why just her? If you're a murderous psychopath, what's actually stopping you from going around and just killing everybody? You ever thought about it that way? Well, we all know what's actually stopping them. The truth is, good, strong people are the only thing, the only thing that stops bad people from doing much, much, much worse, many worse things than they already do. The bank robber would rob every bank. The rapist would rape everyone. The murderer who just enjoys it would kill everybody Was it if it weren't for good people stopping them. Well, this works the same on a national level as well, and an international level, most importantly. You see, we, uh, all human beings are like this. This is not unique to you or me, but we, we think we live in unique times. Oh, these are different. Uh, people are different today. The, the world works differently. It, it's much different. It's, it's a civilized time. We're certainly not like those barbarians in the old age, but that's just a lie we tell ourselves. It's a lie we tell ourselves because we like to feel important. We like to feel like we have a unique place in the world that no one else has ever had, and we live in enlightened times. The world hasn't changed at all, though. That's the truth. The world is full of evil men to this day. Always has been, always will be. You don't know it because there hasn't been a major event yet, and Lord willing, there's not, but there's a Stalin out there today. There's a Hitler. There's a Mao. Pick your historical monster. There's somebody out there, probably several, just as evil, evil, just as capable and willing to commit mass murder and destroy people. Why haven't they done it? Why haven't they done it? Because of America. People don't realize how delicate the international balance really is. People don't fully appreciate, most Americans, even internationally, they don't fully appreciate how delicate the balance of power in this world actually is. Why hasn't Xi Jinping taken over Taiwan, Thailand, Japan, everywhere else China could just storm through? Why? What's actually stopping him? Do you honestly believe he's looking in his Chinese-made mirror at night if it actually works because nothing else Chinese-made does? Do you think he's looking in his Chinese-made mirror at night and saying to himself, I'd love to take Japan, but I just, I just don't think it would be right. Do you think that's what he's saying to himself? Or do you think they're saying to themselves, I'd love to take over Thailand, but America would step in? You see, America has held the balance of the world for a while, since World War II, really, since actually at the end of World War I, America has assumed the mantle of leadership. All people are not the same. People are not equal. Countries are not equal. We have led the world. We are fading now. We're fading right before your eyes. It's terrible to watch. It's terrible for me to watch, terrible for you to watch it, but we are. I cannot believe we're in a place where the President of the United States of America feels comfortable stepping up to the microphone and bragging that, oh, we only left a few Americans behind. The bottom line, 90% of Americans in Afghanistan who wanted to leave were able to leave. 90%? I love how they put a number on it, too, as if he knows that. The, the, this is why, this is a, a quick side note, 
This is part of the reason I hate these people so much. He has no idea what the percentage is. None. Could be 50%. Could be 9%. Could be 92 They went back. They sat around as a staff right before Biden came out. And they, what, what's a good number? Uh, uh, we can't say 99% because they're going to find a bunch. 50 sounds too bad. Uh, what, what, 90. 90 is good. Let's go with 90. Yes, there's not a clue what's going on. But again, the president of the United States of America. Remember this, we've talked about this before. Whenever the president speaks, whoever he is, the whole world watches. You and I don't appreciate that because we don't even know the sound of other leaders' voices around the world. We don't care. You don't watch when the leader of Germany, France, Britain, China, you don't watch when they speak. You don't know what they sound like. Everyone watches when American presidents speak. We just had an American president of the United States step up and brag that, oh, yeah, we left some behind, but there's only a few of them. Good grief. We're going to complain about that? And that's funny because I distinctly remember Joe Biden saying this. Americans should understand that troops might have to be there beyond August 31st. No, Americans should understand that we're going to try to get it done before August 31st. But if we don't, the troops if, will if stay. If we don't, we'll determine at the time who's left. And? And if there are American forces, if there's American citizens left, we're going to stay till we get them all out. Hmm. Now, let's set Joe Biden aside for just a moment here. And let's just talk about the United States of America. What we've done with Afghanistan is so much bigger than Afghanistan. And the truth is, I don't actually expect you to care that much about Afghanistan itself anyway. You care about our lives we lost there. If you lost brothers, sisters there, you care. If you got to know somebody there, you care. But the country as a whole, you don't care about Afghanistan. Set it aside. The world has watched as we simply surrendered to the Taliban. You could have gotten out without pretending as if there's some diplomatic partner now. Oh, they're friends. Oh, in case you're sitting there curious, how exactly are we going to get the rest of the Americans out? Because remember, we have American citizens there dying to leave. We left them behind. They've already announced they're going to be working with the Taliban. Working with the Taliban. Can you believe that? The people we've spent 20 years fighting, not only did we arm them, they're armed to the teeth now. We gave them pallets of cash, left that behind already all kinds of equipment behind, we are now working with them. We are now banking on the people we spent 20 years fighting, helping us evacuate our citizens and civilians because we're too weak and pathetic to get them out. And there is another thing and that's so necessary in life, and we don't have it here, and the world is watching this as well, accountability. Accountability is everything, isn't it? And we don't like doing that. Nothing worse than screwing something up, as I have a million times in my life, and having to step up and say, this is on me. Isn't it wild to you how not a single person in the Biden administration, not Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Millie, Austin, none of, how not a single person, nobody has stepped up and admitted they screwed something up. The president of the United States not only got up yesterday, and said we left a bunch of citizens behind, he got up there and said, also, it's their fault. Since March, we reached out 19 times to Americans in Afghanistan with multiple warnings. 
and offers to help them leave Afghanistan, all the way back as far as March. After we started the evacuation 17 days ago, we did initial outreach and analysis and identified around 5,000 Americans who had decided earlier to stay in Afghanistan, but now wanted to leave. You catch that at the end? Oh, they changed their mind. No, 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 no. We, we didn't screw anything up. What are you talking about? This was, this was, what did they call it? The most successful airlift in history, which is hilarious. We didn't screw anything up, though. Any American who's still there and wants to leave, they changed their mind. They hit up. We already, we of course knew who they were. We knew where they were. We were completely willing and able to go help them, but they changed their mind. These flighty Americans over there. Anyway, here are all the reasons it's not my fault. We don't have any accountability anymore. And it's why so many people both within the United States of America and around the world have lost so much faith in this country so quickly. And here's something terrible, and I never thought I would say these words, but it's true. If you are an ally of the United States of America and you've lost faith in us, you don't think we're led by competent, good people, you don't think we'll stand by you when the chips get, get down, I sympathize. Can you blame them? Can you imagine one of our allies, somebody like Israel right now, banking on the help of the United States of America? How could, you, how could anybody trust us again after this? What a complete disaster this has been. All right. We got a great show for you tonight. We got Malik Abdul. We got all kinds of stuff for you and a fun light in the mood. Coming up next. I love social media. You know why I love social media? And I realize it can be used for harm and just like anything else can. But one of the reasons I love social media so much is it's made it so easy to see exactly what the enemy thinks. Because everyone loves to run their mouth, right? And now everybody, everybody has a cell phone now. Everyone has a cell phone camera out there now. Everybody has a way to record someone else saying what they really think. Can this be disastrous at times? Sure. I don't think you'd be, you'd love it if the entire general public found out about all of your text message history, right? So you're sure it can be bad, but can it also be really good? How many times have you heard me talk? How many times have you and I talked about teachers, about communists? about how they realized how necessary it was to take over the education system so they could teach kids to hate themselves, hate their country, and hate their parents. You see, there's a complete, there's a complete mindset change we need on the right, and I've heard people say this my entire life, and it's insane to me. It's an old Winston Churchill quote. If you're under 30 and not a socialist, you have no heart. If you're over 30 and not a conservative, you have no brain. And it's just one of those clever ways of saying, well, all young people are socialists. What? That's not true. Young people are sponges. They are what you've taught them, what, what you've guided them towards. Our young people are all communists in America because we have given over the education of our children to absolute monsters. These people don't look at children, your children, 
the way you look at other children. When you look at other children, it wouldn't occur to you to snatch them away from their parents, make sure you teach them values that are the opposite of everything those parents have taught them. That that sounds horrible, monstrous to you, right? What kind of a, what kind of a, a demon would do such a thing? That's exactly how they look at your kids. That's exactly how they look at your kids. They don't see you walking in the mall with your kids and think, oh, Look at that cute family. They see you walking in the mall and they think, I wonder how I can change that kid to make him hate himself and his mom and dad. Don't believe me? They're out there on camera telling you all the time. I have 180 days to turn them into revolutionaries. How do you do that? How do you scare the them? Sacramento organization that is under the banner of Antifa is, is very loosely organized, right? Um, so that yeah, when when there is like right wing rallies and stuff, then we like we'll create an opposition to that. Yeah. Beautiful. Where would he go to connect to some of these organizations? Like, no, I, I post calendar every okay, week, awesome. and then so like it's and I do it for extra credit, so they get points for doing it. Like, and so that encourages them to do it. <laughs> and I've I've had like students show up for like protests, community events, you know, tabling food distribution, all sorts of, sorts of things. They, when they go, they take pictures, they write up a reflection, that's their exercise. High school students. Oh, you didn't still think this was just for college campuses, right? High school students, that's a high school teacher. You heard what he said. Did he say, I have 180 days to make sure they learn math? Did he say, I have 180 days to make sure they have a good base of knowledge about history? Did he say, I have 180 days to make sure they know how to compose a paragraph and they learn about sentence structure? And No, he didn't. He said, I have 180 days to do what? Did you catch it? I have 180 days to turn them into revolutionaries. These people don't stand up in front of your kids in a classroom and say to themselves, I have to do right by these kids. I have to do right by their parents. I have to make sure I'm staying on topic and teaching the right things. These people stand in front of your children and think to themselves, I've only got so much time to make sure these kids unlearn everything they've ever been taught. I better dig in. That's the truth. They're always out there telling you. Like I, I have an Antifa flag on my on my wall, um, and a student complained about that, and he said it made him feel uncomfortable. Well, this is meant to make fascists feel uncomfortable, so if you feel uncomfortable, I, I don't really know what to tell you. Fascists. Let's talk about that word for just a brief moment before we wrap this up here, because I realize that's a word that gets tossed around a lot now. You'll see it. One. You better understand the importance of language and propaganda and repeating things over and over again. This stuff can seem stupid and mindless and ineffective to somebody who thinks somebody like you. The truth is, Nazi, fascist, all these things you've heard them describe you as undoubtedly, these things work. They're very, 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 very effective. I'll just say as a quick side note, we should do likewise. That's why I'm so adamant to call them all communists, because it works. But also, back to the fascism thing. These people don't actually know what a fascist is. They don't. They've just been taught. Who taught them? Well, everybody. They all think with one mind. There's one gigantic hive mind on the left. They all think, act, walk, talk, and write the exact same way. 
They learn it growing up in school. They learn it in college. They learn it at their groups. They learn it from their friends. They learn it from the media sources they consume. Fascist, 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 fascist. What does it actually mean to them? To them? A fascist is anybody who tries to stop their communism. That's what a fascist is to them. Which is odd because if they continue down this path in the United States of America, I believe, sadly, we will actually see a fascist rise at some point in this country. I do believe it. People will not be abused without end. And right now there is no indication these communists have any intention of backing off at all. And then they'll find out what real fascism is when people are getting tossed out of helicopters. God forbid we ever get to that time. So let's make sure we stop these people now so we never have to see ugliness like that ever, ever, ever again. Remember, monitor what your kids learn in school. If I can give you one practical piece of advice that I have tried to apply time and time and time again in my life, I will ask my child to see his history book. I will ask my child what his history teacher is teaching him. What are the subjects? Oh, this subject? Oh, okay. You, you can ask it innocently. Okay, that, that's an interesting subject. What's he saying about it? What have you learned? What have you gotten from the lesson? You see, the indoctrination of our kids to hate themselves and their country doesn't begin at the university level anymore. It begins very early on. Now, much less overt than the university level where they'll flat out tell you America sucks. In school, they don't say America sucks because you'd call and complain. They just simply teach them American history. What kind of American history? Well, America is the genocide of the Native Americans, it's slavery, and it's the terrible civil rights stuff. All right, class, that's it for this semester. It begins very, very, very early. Get your kids out of government school. All right, we still got a lot of great show. We'll be back. This night in Kabul, the United States ended 20 years of war in Afghanistan, the longest war in American history. We completed one of the biggest airlifts in history with more than 120,000 people evacuated to safety. That number is more than double what most experts thought were possible. No nation, no nation has ever done anything like it in all of history. The only the United States had the capacity and the will and the ability to do it, and we did it today. This has all gone very well. Haven't you heard the president? Joining me now is Republican political analyst Malik Abdul. Malik, setting aside the horrific, horrific, everything about Afghanistan that was a disaster, I want to focus really with you tonight on the politics aspect of it, because I believe that's what they're focusing on. They're only worried about the political aspect of it. We've seen what they've done. There have been no resignations. There have been no apologies. It's actually been one gigantic celebration, acting happy about it, blaming Trump. Is this going to be effective? I know it's not going to work on me. I know it's not going to work on you. But it is obviously a political strategy they're confident in. Do you think it works? Well, I think, well, if we have to actually put will it work in context. Will it work for the media that is overwhelmingly liberal, overwhelmingly in support of Joe Biden? Absolutely. You can see how they kind of tap dance and some even very gingerly respond to or ask questions of the administration. So I do believe that eventually the media is going to get on board with whatever it is that the White House is saying. But we know that if the situations were reversed, Donald Trump would be pilloried all across media 
And, you know, the, the narrative would be is that, you know, you have this Republican president in office not caring about the people. And much like they blame the COVID deaths on Donald Trump, they would blame our um, brave soldiers who died. They would blame that also on Donald Trump. So, yeah, it's going to work within the context of a media that is overwhelmingly um, um, favorable to any Democrat, Joe Biden included. Malik, I have made a prediction, and I have no inside information on this at all, but I have made a prediction. It would make the most sense for Democrats to toss Biden out, and I thought they would over this whole thing, kind of just force him to do the resignation thing. He looks and sounds as bad as he's ever sounded. No matter how they spin it, the American people are mad as hell about it. The poll numbers show that every single day. Why not make Biden the sacrificial lamb? He's not running for re-election anyway. Yeah, well, the, the, I think probably the biggest thing is that they realize that Joe Biden does not have a very strong VP. So even if we get rid of Joe Biden, we also have Vice President Harris there. So I think there's that realization that she's not really in a strong position to take up the mantle. I've said many times before that I don't think that um, Biden will last beyond midterms. But he's failing even earlier than what I expected. But I don't think that there is a lot of confidence. And the vice president, you know, herself has not exuded a lot of confidence that really makes people feel comfortable with replacing him. Because at the end of the day, if we replace him, Kamala Harris is the heir apparent. What? What is it about her that makes her so unappealing? And that's not my personal bias. I mean, Democrats can't stand her, let alone Republicans. They cannot stand Kamala Harris. And look, from a purely black and white standpoint, she's good looking. She speaks well. She's got a long political history, yet people loathe this woman. Why? Well, I think a lot of that is because, you know, some people will argue that it's sexism. Some people will argue that it's racism. But the fact is, is that Kamala Harris is not a great politician. She may have been, oh, she, she may have been great as an attorney general. Some people believe that she was great as an actual US, U.S. senator, but when it comes to being a politician, Kamala Harris drops the ball each and every time, which is why she left the race on a national standpoint. She left the primary with, I believe, less than 3% of the national <laughs> vote. She's just not a strong politician. And for those who will argue that it's sexism or things like that, there are some women who make great politicians. I'm not a fan of AOC, but when it comes to being her, when but when it comes to her being a politician, or even Nancy Pelosi in that way, when it comes to them being po politicians, they um like they have a, a sense of strength and believability that Kamala, she just simply does not have. She will not have even when she runs in 2024. It's just not there for her. All right. I know we're fast forward and we're getting a million miles ahead of ourselves here because we have a midterm coming up. But I, I'm, I've been curious about this. I've been, I've been trying to work this out in my head. Let's assume Joe Biden has quit by the time 2024 rolls around. I, I don't think that's an unsafe assumption. So Kamala Harris is the acting president. Democrats are well aware of how unpopular she is. They're going to run someone against the sitting president, Malik? No, not at all. And this is this will be one of those chickens coming home to roost. 
Because remember, around this time last year, you had the 100 black men who wrote the letter to Joe Biden saying, you have to choose a woman. And that woman really was Kamala Harris. The Democratic Party talked about the time that it was time for you know a black um, vice president or a black female vice president. So they would have created this narrative that it will be very difficult to then in 2024 say that the person that you say, all of the identities that you referenced as important in 2020 are somehow thrown out of the window. They're no longer important. I think that it will be, some people will probably try to run, but I think it will be very difficult in a Barack Obama as president, as reelected president way to get someone to really run against Kamala Harris because all of the momentum around her gender and her race will be there. And I don't see how Democrats, they've dug this hole. And I don't see how they'll be able to get out of that and say that another person, and, in, and to her credit, being the vice president of the United States does give her um, um, particular trappings, but She's just not performing. But I do believe that it'll be very hard for Democrats to then say, well, we're just going to cast her aside and bring someone else in. I think it's going to be very hard. Okay, switching gears here to the political side of coronavirus. Biden runs on being the one who can snuff out the virus. Obviously, it's a virus. You're not going to snuff out the stupid virus. So it's still there. And the media is always going to love it because if it bleeds, it leads. How do they get around that when people are still getting sick, people are still unhappy about lockdowns, they're unhappy about mandates? What's the plan there for the midterm Democrats? How are they going to plan a game plan this? Well, I can tell you, Greg Abbott and um, Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida, that's literally what they're going to be pushing because they're going to hoist them up as an example of failures um, you know, in GOP land or Republican states or red states. They are going to tie this to, because they can't tie to Joe Biden. You know, we did that with Donald Trump. And, you know, yes, Donald Trump, there were errors that Donald Trump made when it comes to messaging. But I think what we're realizing, what Democrats are now realizing, that all of those things that you put on Donald Trump, aside from his messaging, all of those things that they talked about as far as being a failure of the federal government, they're now seeing that it's much easier said than done. And when we have someone like Joe Biden, remember, there was a larger, large discussion about Obama left Trump a pandemic playbook. Well, with almost 50 years of Washington experience, this whole pandemic playbook that Biden himself was supposed to be able to go in on day one, Biden himself, because he was a nicer, gentler, more respectful president, Biden was supposed to be able to set the example for the rest of the country to then follow. And we're seeing, not just in red states, but all of the country, people are hesitant not just to wearing masks, but they are definitely hesitant to getting vaccinated this same vaccine that Joe Biden himself said last year, he would not trust if it were not FDA approved. And Kamala Harris, who's now the vice president, said that she would not listen to anything that Donald Trump said about the vaccine. So it's going to be very hard for him, for them to get out of this. But I expect they're going to shift the blame to people like DeSantis and Abbott and other governors in red states. They can't they will not blame Joe Biden for it at all. You mentioned earlier the media is going to run cover for them, and obviously that's that's true. Has the media lost influence? I know they have a bunch still. I'm not naive. The media is extremely powerful. Have they lost a bit of that, or is it just the same people who always hated them like me now just hate them more? No, I think that they will continue to lose um, 
you know, people will continue, will continue to lose their uh, belief in media simply because of how they're handling things like this, how they're handling things like COVID. And there's a lot of discussions that we're going to have over these next four years where the media is going to run interference for Joe Biden. So they'll continue to apologize in these White House press conferences before they ask Jen Psaki a question. You know, I'm sorry, I know you have a lot of things on your plate because, you know, that's what they've said about um, Kamala Harris even months ago. We know that the vice president has a lot of things on her plate. How do we expect her to do X, Y, Z? I think the media will continue to lose. Um, people will continue to lose respect for media over these years. And it won't just be those of us who over the past four years um, the previous four years have been critical of media, media and noticed the things that they've done to really go after making themselves the center of attention as opposed to the being objective journalists. I think that um, the public at large will definitely continue to lose respect for the media over these next four years. It is guaranteed to happen. But again, at the media essentially control, they are friends of the Democratic Party. So they'll continue to provide cover, but the American people will lose confidence in the media as they've, as we have over the past four years. Yeah. Malik Abdul, thank you so much, my man. I appreciate you. All right. Thanks, buddy. All right. We are not done yet. We got a great show for you tonight. Hang on. No nation, no nation has ever done anything like it in all of history. The only the United States had the capacity and the will and ability to do it, and we did it today. The extraordinary success of this mission. Huge win. Joining me now to talk about that and other things is my friend Drew Berquist. He's a former counterterrorism officer and host of This Is My Show with Drew Berquist. Drew this was the best airlift ever. I don't know what you're complaining about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is for a situation you created. I mean, that's it's, you know, there's so many great analogies that people have put out there. You know, you you, you sink the ship. Well, I mean, let's not even go there like this. The, he says this is extraordinary. No country's ever done this. You're right. No country has ever ended anything this poorly and then tried to put lipstick on a pig. It's absolutely disastrous. And I smile and we kid right now. But I've never been so furious in my life over the last several weeks, considering, you know, what's happened there, all that I've put in, you know, most of my adult life over there. It's it's absolutely remarkable that they sit down and said, how do, how do we spin this failure? Let's call it the biggest airlift success in history. Drew, uh, understandably, everybody's mad about American equipment and most importantly, American civilians left behind. Those are the two things that are driving people crazy. But a lot of people are pretty upset about the people we did bring, because there are lots of them. Now, I, I have to ask, because as soon as you bring this question up, somebody will say something like vetted, vetted, vetted. Well, people just throw out that word and don't understand what it means. Do Afghanistan, do people in Afghanistan in general have enough paperwork to vet them properly? Well, it's really difficult. Um... The answer is some of them do, some of them don't. So, and there's a lot of people, you know, I've got people we've been working to get out who fall in the partner category, people who put their lives in the line for us, who aren't completely papered, aren't completely current because they never expected to leave Afghanistan and never expected things to end this poorly. But for the lion's share of them, it is difficult. Not everyone has that. The way that the spelling of their names, the way that their naming just, you know, works in general with their lineage, their family history, becomes confusing and then all of our government agencies do something slightly different and it gets really tough to track and vet. Uh, 
so certainly we've gotten better at it over the 20 years that we've been fighting the global war on terror, which we don't call that anymore. Um, but but we've gotten better at it. But it, when you're doing it this fast, there's no way you can do it well. Well, I'm sure the Biden administration is is has only put the best people on this, and they're doing it in in the, in the most professional, you know, meticulous way humanly possible. Of course, of course, yeah. I mean, everyone they've got in that team is top notch. <laughs> of course. All right. All right. Let's, let's set let's set that part of this conflict aside for a moment. You've talked on this show more than once before about the Northern Alliance, about about the, the about them holding strong. We just got word this morning, or at least I just found out this morning, the Taliban are heading up that way. What is coming? Is there a big war coming? Is it going to be some kind of siege where they keep them in the valley? What is it? Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, look, you go into the Panjshir Valley, traditionally speaking, you don't come out. You can ask the Russians, you can ask so many people, you can ask the Taliban. Because of the nature of how the valley is set up and how the, the, the Northern Alliance has always used the high ground there, it's very tough to go in and win. You get pinned down, you get everyone gets smoked, and then you retreat. That's kind of what happens. You know, they have more equipment now. How they're going to be able to use some of the air assets or not use them could start to change the game a little bit. But if things are just as they've always been, and both sides, we've got guys in the Northern Alliance who have great weapon and equipment that, that we've given them as well. You know, it's going to be tough for the Taliban to get in and get out of there. Um, and those those people, and there's more there's more that I know of that just got to Panjshir who are ready to push back. So it's going to be bloody. How much it extends beyond that is yet to be determined. But I think once it kicks off, and there's some, I've seen some footage from some of our guys where there is already some fighting going on. Obviously, the, the Taliban on their way there for more fighting. So... Uh, I, I don't think it gets contained to there, but it's certainly going to be one of the the epicenters for it to start. Okay, Drew, you brought up the equipment. Obviously, we've seen them driving around in our MRAPs. We've we've seen them flying our helicopters, which was a shock to some. But how much can they maintain this equipment, and how trained are they? It's one thing to get a halo off the ground. It's another thing entirely to be flying it through mountains and valleys. Exactly. Yeah, I think I could get it off the ground myself. I don't think I could land it successfully. And I think that's where most of them are. I mean, look, there's people that we trained to fly these, you know, and the, the, the original recipients of those aircraft were people who were obviously were trained by our by our people. We, we helped them learn to service and maintenance things. So there are some that are left. And could they be coerced or forced into doing this, you know, do this or we'll kill your family? Yes. Could they have other people from outside nations, whether it's Pakistan, China, you name it, Russia come in and help train them, certainly. Um, but you hit the nail on the head. What's what's going to be key is not just can they get them off the ground and keep them in the air, execute their operations, and then land them, but the key is going to be can they maintain them and keep them up. The only way they can do that is with significant outside support, which I think they're going to sadly have. I'm sorry, outside support from where? So you're going to have outside support from Pakistan that, that always has been flowing in and is flowing in today. You're going to have indirect support from China to Pakistan that goes in there. You're going to have support in, in, in some capacity from other nations in the region. Um, Russia's always been on the ground there, always wants to undercut everything that we're doing, make us look as bad as possible. But certainly Pakistan and, and indirectly through them, China uh, are going to do everything they can to help out. Okay, China and Pakistan, this is an odd marriage for a lot of people because they don't fully understand it. Why Why China and Pakistan? What, what's their deal? Pakistan controls so much of what goes on in the region in terms of their the, the, the leadership, um, you know, some of the, the fighters, the jihadists, the Taliban leadership. There's, there's so much inter, intertwined between the two. And a lot of the leadership sends people in to do their, their bidding 
and control Afghanistan and particularly Kabul uh, and disrupt things there. China, of course, has a vested interest in us being gone. They want the minerals. They want they want so much out of the, the region in terms of, of, of just the resources that are there. And again, it also makes us look bad. They get to go in and 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 play top dog there. So that, that's where their interest lies. It's, it, it's, it's a really interesting marriage, but it's one that benefits everyone involved on their side. Um, so I think we'll see it continue. Okay, and not to bring up something completely out of the blue, but this makes me think about India. Obviously, India and Pakistan, not exactly the best of friends. India and China, not exactly the best of friends. Do they have some kind of influence in the region? And if not, why not? I mean, obviously they do up in in the Kashmir area. They do in the region writ large. They're a big country. They're a powerful country. They have lots of of, of their own resources. They're very capable in in many regards. But as it pertains to Afghanistan, the northern parts of Afghanistan, China's involvement with Afghanistan and, and Pakistan, I just don't know that they have the clout to do that. And, and if, if if someone was going to help them, it would have to be someone big and powerful like us. And I don't know that we have the will uh, under under this joker to do it. So. I, they're going to have some influence. They're going to get some help as it pertains to any threats that encroach further and further into their territory. But but in terms of going the opposite side of, of the border, I don't, I don't think so. Drew, let's shift gears here and, and talk about America for a moment. Texas passed this abortion ban today, which is a wonderful thing. Half the country is outraged about it. The other half is thrilled about it. What still binds us as a country? Is there anything, is there a single value at all that still binds us as a nation? I don't think so. I really don't. I think if we, we've probably talked about it on your show before here, you know, if, if there was, God forbid, another 9-11 type event, which certainly is, is better positioned to happen now than ever before, um, you know, Afghanistan's in, in worse shape than it was pre-9-11. But if that happened, I don't think there would be a rallying cry. I think there'd be a, you know, a lot of finger pointing and it would lead to just further division here. There's, there's just literally not much left that brings us together. And you, you almost, we've talked about that too on your show. Like there's almost no desire. Like I, I sadly, as much as I've served and love this country, you've served this country. I have no desire to, to unite with the other side who hates the country and us so much. It's like, there's, there's not much left. How did this happen so fast? Because I agree with everything you just said. And it does, I mean, 9-11 was not that long ago, right? I was 20 years ago. That's not an ancient, that's not ancient by any means. And I remember, look, I was in the Marine Corps at the time. I remember how much the country rallied. Obviously, it became divisive in the end. But how did we lose it that quickly? I don't know. I think it's a combination of so many things. Obviously, the mainstream media has ramped up their efforts, you know, growing up you know, in, in the earlier parts of our life and in our early parts of our adult life, they, they kind of had it hidden. Their, their bias was there, but it was hidden. They didn't play their cards so heavy handed. Now they do. Now they don't care. Now they nominate, you know, they, they endorse candidates, they attack candidates. It's, it's, it's totally a, a, a arm and a proxy group of the left. You've got big tech who's, who's weighed in. There's so many other ways that kind of spread this. And then with, with big tech and in the media, I mean, those two divide us so much and it's their goal to divide us. So I think that that just poured gas on the fire that was already kind of simmering. And now we've got a raging wildfire. And the only way this thing ends is in divorce or a fight or both. Oh, gosh, God forbid. That. OK, let's 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 move on for just a moment and talk a bit more about the election coming up in the midterms. There are so many Republicans out there who seem to think this is going to be an absolute landslide for Republicans. And in normal circumstances, I would agree but what are the chances you and I are now out of step with the majority of the country and people aren't nearly as mad as they should be? 
I, I think it's sadly a reasonable a reasonable odd like that, that that's the case. I, I mean, look, as you said, in a normal circumstance, any other time, regardless of which party's on what side of this cat- catastrophic event that just happened, you know, in this case, we would win. We would win in a landslide. It would be a guarantee. But we are such a hot mess on the Republican side. The GOP is is a disaster. And 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 the conservative base is split and is a disaster, you could argue. So there's no unity even on our own side, which which brings a lot of concerns to bear when it comes to 2022, which is going to be key to kind of helping right the ship. If we can do that, it'll be a massive win and at least stave off some other kind of chaos and disaster that we don't want in this country. No one should want. But but I just don't know that we're unified enough to capitalize and actually make it a win for us. Okay, is the GOP changing for the better, though? I, I understand it's a slow process, and the GOP in general sucks, but is, are they improving? I think we're improving. I think we're definitely improving. I think it's just a slow process. We're, 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 it, there's a lot of dead weight that's there, a lot of baggage that's been there forever that is very resistant to to leaving. Um, so I think that it's just going to be tough. And the question is, is can we particularly as it pertains to 2022, get enough momentum to change that now. There's great resources, great dollars, great PACs that are getting behind the right candidates that are saying, we don't want any of you establishment types anymore. We want people that love America are going to stand up and fight and not just play the political game. Um, but again, there's people who, who are there, who have been there forever, who care about themselves. They always have on both sides of the aisle. They've never cared about you or me or this country. And, and we've got to get rid of them. It's just a matter of how fast can we do it. Yeah, man. Drew Berkowitz, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. Dogs. You'll see. All right. It's time to lighten the mood. As you can tell, I'm not at the studio. Don't worry. I'm going to be back to the studio next time. No worries about that. I'm, I'm fine. Everything's fine. But working from home comes with some challenges sometimes. Sometimes you get an unexpected visitor. Where we do find these showers, no longer any thunderstorms. We're tracking one cell actually right here, but these are weakening and we're not anticipating much activity. We're also seeing some rain, Elliott Lake, Sault Ste. Marie, and that's headed up towards Timmin and Sudbury later tonight. Your forecast for the evening, well, it is going to remain uh, on the mild side, 25 degrees, winds from the southeast, and as we move through the night, sorry, move. 21, 21 is the forecast low tonight, wind from the east at 20. Let us hope that my dog never enters the picture here. All right, I'll see you next time. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. 